Hello and thank you so much for joining us here at Cardo Kids Cast. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today I'm joined by guest Chella Quint, author of Own Your Period. Even though it's called Own Your Period, I like I actually say on the first page, you don't have to put this book down if you don't get period. It's really important to learn about what other people's bodies can do, because that's really cool. Having a period is an incredible thing. Own Your Period is a fact-filled, inclusive guide to periods that is bursting with positive, honest advice on managing and understanding menstruation. Celebrate what the body can do and provide young people with everything they need to be prepared and empowered. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chella Quint, author of Own Your Period. Hello, I'm Chella Quint, and I'm the author of Own Your Period. Hi, Chella. I'm super excited to talk to you about this book. I have never worked on a book like this before, so I feel like I have a hundred questions for you, but I feel like the best place for us to start is to get readers to know about you a little bit. So can you talk about yourself and the period positive movement and how your work informed this book? So I grew up in the U.S. and I went to school here and I went to college here and then I decided I wanted to teach drama in high school. I wanted to be a high school drama teacher and that's not like a big career in the United States. You know, if the school <laughs> If a school has a drama department, most schools, maybe the English teacher directs a play a couple of times a year. A few schools are really lucky to have a drama program, but it was, you know, not a good sort of career move if that was what I wanted to be. But I found out that in England, where they also speak English, I could get a degree in drama education. So I decided to go and do that. So I moved to England. Um, I don't know. I really liked the Beatles. And uh, I really liked British comedy and um, British romance movies. And I thought it would be a fun thing to do. And I loved it. I loved moving to England and I live in England now. I studied to be a drama teacher and I taught drama. And when you teach drama, you often get to also teach other subjects like media studies and English. And sometimes you get to teach health education. So in the U.S., it's usually part of the PE job. You know, so if you're a gym teacher, you're also the health teacher. And in England, it's often part of the drama or English teacher's job. Or maybe if you teach religious studies or history, it might be part of your job too, because they are sort of related. But I became a health teacher. So I noticed a few things while this was happening. I noticed that there wasn't a really good health education program in the UK. It was sort of based on either what that teacher had learned when they were growing up or what booklets or leaflets were sent in the post to you from companies that, um, you know, that made products based on what you were trying to teach. So like condom companies would send resources uh, for teaching about um, contraception and menstrual product companies would send resources teaching about, you know, the first period talk. And I sort of started noticing that I, you know, that there was a lot of corporate involvement that I didn't want to pass along to my students because I thought it was biased. But I didn't just kind of come to this realization out of the blue because my education had been just like that. When I learned about periods in the U.S. when I was at school, uh, they separated the kids by gender. They didn't acknowledge that there might be non-binary kids. Um, and they had all the girls sit down for the period talk. A lady from a company came in 
and she gave us free samples and little booklets about periods. And, you know, and the booklet said things like, you know, you could hide these things from the boys and you should always have products just in case and didn't say anything about charting your cycle or knowing your body or feeling confident to talk about it in public. It was more about keeping things secret and protecting you from leaks. And so those were the big takeaways. And then when I was 13, I had this horrible leakage horror experience at a slumber party that forever changed the way I saw periods and menstrual products and my capability to like manage periods. And I was, you know, I permanently wore dark colored clothing after that because I wanted to hide any potential leaks. And um, I would always wear lots of layers, you know, just, just in case like I ever bled through anything. And I begged my family for the fancy pads, like the expensive brand and the one, you know, we couldn't really afford them. So like we would get, coupons in the Sunday newspaper and get, you know, if there was two for one or 50 cents off or whatever, and they would save them up. Like my mom, my aunt and my grandma until we could afford the good ones. Because in my gym class locker, I wanted to show off that big square package of the fancy ones, the thin ones with the wings, not the ones that looked like, like some sort of Barbie doll mattress. I was like, that's what I called them. And I got this real hang up about it. And when I was teaching, I realized that the way I felt was sort of being reinforced to like current generations of kids as well. And I thought that was really unfair. But I'm skipping a whole bit of the story. I um, was in my free time doing stand-up comedy and it was fun. And the reason I was doing it was because I love British comedy and I taught drama, but I also was, you know, a, like a, a working performer. and. I really needed to take the edge off of teaching. It was scary. And I didn't drink a lot. Like I wasn't that good at like pub culture because I was from a country that did not have pub culture. So, you know, I would maybe have a beer, um, but I wouldn't like, you know, like use, use sort of going to the pub as a way to like finish off a, a stressful day. For me, like going and doing like five minutes at a, an open mic night would kind of take the edge off for me in the same way. And I mean, I did improv and I loved improv. You know, I was like, I was always a big fan of Saturday Night Live growing up. And I started developing these sketches about old menstrual product adverts. I did a, a zine um, about adverts and I like sort of, you know, kind of mocked these old ads language and, and turned it around. And then I turned them into, into live sketches. So I started doing a sketch show about old fashioned period adverts to sort of show modern people how ridiculous they were. And it started going really well. So I called the zine and the show Adventures in Menstruating. And this was like my secret alter ego sideline that I didn't really take into school until I was discovered by the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research, uh, which is not like a showbiz impresario it is a, you know, <laughs> it's like um, an actual like learned scholarly society <laughs> of academics. Um, but it was even better for me because I was doing a lot of sort of science-based comedy and science communication comedy. And this was like the ultimate peer review to be recognized by actual menstrual scholars felt maybe, maybe not quite the same as being like, you know, like tipped for this year's SNL cast, but it was pretty close. It was, pretty close. It was a pretty close, close second, um, especially because I had become obsessed with menstrual media. This became my, my sort of pet topic to talk about whenever anything around feminism or marketing or, you know, uh, like 
language etymology came up because it felt like something nobody knew about and I wanted everyone to know. So I had the zine, I had the comedy show. I wrote a song at one point. I started making up like comedy dances to teach people about different types of menstrual products, um, like in a, in like a quick catchy way. And I, um, I realized there was like this, you know, dearth of knowledge in my actual school content. And, and I wasn't in charge of health education right away. It's called PSHE in England, personal, social, um, economic health and citizenship education. And the letters get mixed around depending on what school you're in. The government has recently released a relationship, sex and well-being education directive, which now kind of groups all of that information together. So kids are now expected to learn this stuff. But for most of the time when I was teaching, they, it was sort of like an add-on, you know? It was not considered core curriculum content the way it had been when I was growing up. And I got really good sex education, but my period education had been terrible. And I realized that the sex education content was just getting better and better. More and more educational professionals and school boards were realizing that the more you know the younger you are, the better a preventive it is for you, you know, making risky choices as you get older. So in the states and in the, you know, the school districts where there's better sex education, there are fewer unwanted pregnancies. There are fewer cases of STI transmission, all of this. And I thought it stood to reason that in places where the period talk is done well, there are, you know, potentially more confident young people, more, you know, open conversations around, um, you know, fertility and contraception and diagnosing reproductive illnesses as kids get older because they feel more comfortable talking about it. And then of course, you know, if you don't know that what's happening for your body is not normal, you'll just live with it. And some of the adverts and some of the packaging that I was discovering from like sort of modern days rather, rather than like the past was saying stuff like, oh, this wrapper won't make any noise when you use it in the bathroom. So like when you're in your stall and you're unwrapping this tampon, it, the wrapper's designed to be silent. So the, the person in the next stall won't hear you. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. You know, like why on earth is this the message of this, this advertising? And when I realized that the same corporations that were marketing this way were promoting their products via these school educational leaflets and that a lot of teachers were using them because they're free and you know budgets are strapped. And also we don't have any training on this. There's no official period talk education program for teachers. I realized that they were just sort of getting into kids' heads still, just like it had happened for me. And, you know, when I had this leakage horror experience when I was a kid, and I talk about it in the book, I, I don't think that the kids were picking on me because they didn't like me or they didn't like, you know, periods even necessarily. I think they were frightened when they saw a period stain on my nightgown because they were scared it would happen to them. And they'd been made to feel scared by the period talk that they'd got, or possibly even by, you know, like a, a teachable moment gone wrong or an unfortunate experience where they, you know, they asked a sibling or a parent and nobody knew what to say. And so they sort of put them off with something silly, you know, or like, oh, don't ask me that or, oh, disgusting, you know, or at worst, they like were flipping through the channels and, you know, saw some like old kind of late night hacky comedian on Comedy Central, you know, talk about somebody being on their period as like the butt of the joke. Because in the like 80s and 90s, that was what a period joke was. Now you've got amazing comedians talking about periods as part of their acts in like totally like modern and current and trendy ways. That should have been happening decades ago based on how everything else was moving forward in terms of like 
you know, body positivity. So when I was promoting my show and, um, and the sketches and the zine, I started saying that they were period positive because I, I was talking to people who knew about being sex positive and body positive, And I figured they just get what I meant. But over the years, I've had to sort of go into more detail. So as the person that coined it, like that was in 2006, I encouraged people to use it on Twitter whenever they saw something they deemed period positive. So like I started trying to define more and more what that was, like knowing how to chart your cycle, knowing about the biology of menstruation, knowing about reusable menstrual products, not being afraid to talk about periods out loud, not being afraid to ask questions and not being afraid of period stains to the point where I created this comedy period stain that you could wear as a fashion logo you know, like on your clothes, you know, like where the, you know, where the little alligator would be on like an alligator shirt, <laughs> you could put the period stain there and it was stains to him. And, um, and this was a popular sketch in my comedy show. And I took it to the Edinburgh Fringe and we did like a flash blob on the Royal Mile, the Edinburgh Fringe. And like, you know, I was giving out these little felt period stains for people to add to their clothes. And, um, and then I decided with advice from, um, the then president of the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research, Chris Bobel, to take it back into the classroom and test it out as a learning resource for my students. Um, I didn't know if stand-up comedy would fly, you know, in front of a bunch of like 14-year-olds. They are a tough crowd. But um, it turned out that like the shame and embarrassment they were feeling was very easily overcome with this icebreaker of using very silly comedy. So they really dug the Stains TM lesson activity. They enjoyed taking down adverts by replaying them, you know, in character with costumes and everything. They loved looking at the language of periods uh, in adverts from the past and now and critiquing them and drawing comparisons. So they became very savvy consumers. Um, and they really enjoyed seeing the reusable menstrual products and learning the dance for them, the menstrual product mambo where they learned about internal, external, disposable and reusable products. It was, it was silly, but they, even though they were teenagers, they really embraced that level of silliness to get to the heart of what had already become like sort of an entrenched fear. So that's why the book is aimed at sort of around age nine plus, because even though a 15 or 16 year old would happily sit down with this book, like the age before people have periods is when the period talk should be so it's kind of a broad age range because and then I started doing this work after my master's which involved this research I started doing this work with some of the primary school teachers in England so you know elementary school and they started teaching it younger and then the government recommended that it be taught younger and um the sort of received wisdom was separate the kids but as it became more and more important for puberty to be normalized sort of across all genders and for all genders of kids to be included, um, more and more schools started taking the advice to teach them together, which is why I don't say in the book that this is only for people who have periods, even though it's called own your period. I like, I actually say on the first page, you don't have to put this book down if you don't get period. It's really important to learn about what other people's bodies can do because that's really cool. So anybody can read this book whether they have periods or not, whether they're gonna get them or not, um, just cause it's cute and fun. And I always say um, everybody's first apartment was a uterus, you know? So everybody should have a vested interest in um, understanding how they work, you know, like everybody's first flat. I mean, I'm from New York, so I guess I'm particularly sensitive to like the expensive studio apartment experience. That is the <laughs> ultimate studio apartment. <laughs> <It really is. laughs>
Looking to stay up to date on everything Quarto Kids has to offer? Sign up to receive our e-newsletters and we'll stay in touch with upcoming books, creator interviews, educator guides, and more. Sign up to stay in touch at quartonose.com forward slash r forward slash educator newsletter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-O-K-N-O-W-S.com forward slash r forward slash educator newsletter. Doing everything in the same in the same womb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything's in the same womb, but it's like, you know, it's like a, the tiny house movement. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> but it's, I think it's important also for like, you know, dads to feel comfortable reading this book and uh, like cis male teachers, because it's not, there's no, there's nobody periods aren't for, because even if you don't experience them, experience them yourself, you should know about them. Like you should know how to talk about periods. I always say anyone in a school um, from like the principal to the crossing guard should be able to handle a period question because you never know when one's going to happen. And you could do so much damage by giving the wrong answer. Yeah, it's um, it's really it, it stinks because if you if you give the wrong answer, it's sort of painful, you know, because you can you can sort of cringe yourself later, but feel like you can't go back from that. But I kind of appeal to people to give the wrong answer if it means saying something, because saying nothing is worse. At least if you give the wrong answer, you can go back and say, actually, sorry, that was kind of a gut reaction because of how I learned. And I always do say to like teachers and parents um, and other people that work with children, like think about how you first learned, because the way you first learned about periods is often sort of tempering how you think about it now, even if you've had a lot better input since like if the first person that talked to you about periods didn't seem knowledgeable or confident then you may have taken away a lack of trust in 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 period information and you may have been more swayed by the sort of negative messages from commercials you know like you know the blue liquid freaks some people out some kids actually do say to me that they did not realize periods were going to be red because of the blue liquid in the commercials interesting what's i mean one or two kids in every school and not just in the uk in the us as well this is you know, a, a really common issue that um, sort of periods are sanitized, even like the language we use, like feminine hygiene is a terrible phrase, but the industry came up with it because they wanted to frame this around sort of dirt and disgust. But we don't, I mean, we don't talk about like diapers aren't like, you know, like baby hygiene diapers. They're just diapers. You know, why are menstrual products feminine hygiene products? And there's no shame either around right. wearing a diaper. Yeah. And, you know, also and the whole feminine thing, like, I don't, I don't feel particularly feminine. I love dresses, but like, I don't, I don't see, I don't see anything particularly feminine about feminine hygiene products. They're pretty gender neutral to me, especially since, you know, like some trans guys and non-binary people have periods. So it should be a more inclusive term. So I just say disposable and reusable menstrual products. And then I try and encourage people to say menstruation more, partly because menstruation is the same word across a lot of different languages. So you're, you're instantly understood um, because period is really just short for menstrual period. But um, like in, in the UK, some people still say time of the month. Um, I think we talked about this before. One of my favorite TV shows, a character very jokingly calls it the monthly shame, which oh, gosh. makes me oh, no. crack up every time. What is your process like for paring down so much information? You mentioned, you know, this book is aimed, it, it could be aimed at 16 year olds. It could be aimed at nine year olds. So how do you 
work to put information, you know, that's relevant to pre-period and relevant to people who have their periods and just easy to understand for people of different ages. I mean, there's so much information. So I guess it's kind of like a multi-part question. How do you make it accessible for so many ages? But also how do you just get that much information into one book? So good editing for sure. Definitely helped. Um, The team that I worked with was really supportive of me earmarking certain things that had to stay in. So there's a whole section on media messages from the past that I said had to stay in because there were no kids books that include this. And they're so crucial to understanding why people feel the way they do now. And when I talk to people, you know, kids, teenagers, adults, they are uplifted visibly, you know, after about an hour of like a period workshop where we look at these advertising messages. So that actually got a decent amount of space in the book, more than I was expecting. I also wanted to devote a lot of space to reusable menstrual products, just because they're not in a lot of other resources. They're, they're new to most educational materials because those are so much slower to change. So there may be other books that talk about reusable products, but not a lot of, you know, lesson plans. So I wanted this to be, you know, potentially better than anything kids would get at school. But also I wanted it to support teachers who wanted to update their own resources. You know, this would be a book that they could use as a reference to create lesson plans from. When talking to kids themselves though, um, across the ages, I worked with elementary school kids too, and their teachers and parents and homeschooled families. You know, I got a lot of feedback from kids um, who wanted more. And the, the feedback boiled down to what my research group said to me before I finished my master's. They said they wanted to know everything. And they reiterated this by making a completely second point, which was kind of identical to the first, which was don't leave anything out. So, and they needed these to be two separate points. They wanted to know everything from before puberty starts to after menopause, because they, they wanted to know the whole process. They didn't think giving them a little talk a little bit at a time was good because it kept leaving them in suspense and things kept happening in their lives that they weren't expecting. So, you know, they didn't know what to do if somebody leaked. They didn't know what to do if someone didn't have a menstrual product. They didn't know what to do um, when looking at contraception choices as they got older. They didn't know what to do when it looked like they were experiencing a hormonal imbalance and they didn't know how to talk to parents or doctors about it. Um, Lots of things were coming up. They didn't know how to help friends. Uh, All the kids that I was researching with went on a surf trip and um, I sent out the permission letters before the surf weekend. So the kids showed their parents uh, and the parents all gave their approval, but then all the kids went off with a bunch of teachers and a couple of parents as chaperones on this surfing trip. And they spent the whole weekend just talking to each other about periods. So when they came back, like they already were on board with the project. And I almost wished I'd been able to do some sort of survey or something with them before I sent the permission letter home. But it, it was so amazing to me. And this ended up being part of, you know, my, my report. It was amazing to me that just kind of giving them the invitation to talk about periods opened up the floodgates, you know, and you cannot avoid period puns. But it really, it really did like just all these questions and all these topics and all this humor just sort of like, just exploded out of them. And 
they were like really up for it. So they also wanted to know a third thing. They wanted to know not just, you know, everything and they didn't want anything left out, but they also wanted to know who knew. So the reason that I designed this, this logo that you see in the book and on a lot of the stuff I do is this period positive blood droplet with a smiley face in it. And the reason I designed it was because they wanted like a, like a secret code that wasn't particularly secret of who they could talk to about periods because they hated the experience of getting pushed back when they asked certain people and they didn't like how insecure that left them feeling. Um, but they also wanted to encourage more and more people to like earn this badge as like this sort of badge of like period knowledge honor. So we call it the period positive award and schools and organizations can, can earn it as like a, an emblem that they wear. And it's in the book. And at the end of the book, there are these 20 steps for taking the period positive pledge written into kid friendly language, but they're based on these goals that, you know, schools and workplaces and like city councils can take on if they want their place to be more period positive. Because I went from sort of saying this is period positive and it being a vague notion like 15 years ago to this is period positive and here are 20 things you can try and do to make your life more period positive for you and your friends and family and the generations to come. So I started with the basics. Everything is in easy to understand language and it's really matter of fact. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't using euphemisms because there are enough euphemisms in period talk and that if there was more than one word for something, I tried to use both or explain why I was choosing one word over the other. And um, I was just really honest. I didn't want to leave anything out. And I wanted to say it the way I would have liked to hear it when I was 12. A lot of this book is written to like 12 year old me. 12 year old me right around the time of my period leakage horror story experience. So that if that had happened and I'd had this book I probably would have felt differently about it. You know, maybe I would have made my own felt period stain and worn it on my clothes or asked my teacher to change the way we do the period talk or, um, you know, some of the other things that I suggest doing at the end of the book. I, I, I did interview my grandma, but not until 2006. I, you know, I would have done it when I was 12 and that would have been hilarious. <laughs> it would have changed things if I had had the period talk with my grandma when I was 12. She would have been just as frank, but I would have not spent like the next 10 years panicking about periods. I probably would have worn bright clothes again. My aunt noticed, came home for my dad's birthday one year. Um, and my aunt noticed that I was wearing this like light colored floral dress. And she said, I can't believe you're wearing like bright clothes. Like, I just remember you always wore all black and like, you know, navy blue and dark green and maroon. And I was like, yeah, I guess I kind of stopped worrying about period leaks. Um, and it, it was a big thing for me. I actually happened to like bright colors and never realized it. It's like a whole new world. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up our time together, I wanted to ask you one final question, something that I ask everyone who stops by the podcast, and that is what makes you love a book? What brings you into a book? What keep, pulls you back to that book again and again? I'm a sucker for first person narration. I love a book that's talking directly to me because it feels really personal. I even like it when um, the narrator switches. So if it's a fiction book, 
and each chapter is narrated by somebody else, like Babysitter's Club, Babysitter's on Board, where they go on a cruise and then a vacation uh, to Disney World. That was one of my favorite books as a kid because it was of my favorite book of that series in particular, because even the kids did some narration, not just the babysitters, which I thought was great because it really like expanded that world. Yeah. And I really like immersive worlds in, in my stories and world building. So if there's a game of, of the, the book, brilliant. If there's a movie of the book, if there's a podcast, if there's, you know, if there's a, a YouTube channel, of the book. So for me, um, when I'm reading something, I want to, I want to feel like I'm being talked to because that really engages me but I also really like how personal it makes it. So even though this is a nonfiction book, um, I, I wanted to do that because I wanted it to be personal. I wanted it to be sort of, you know, if I'm the person tasked with giving you the reader my best ever period talk, well, I'm gonna do the best job I can, but I want you to know that it's coming from the heart and it's for you because I would have loved to have had that as a kid. and you know, my mom tried her best and our teacher did what he could by inviting that visitor in. And my friends sort of filled in the gaps as best as they knew, but it's, it's so, it's such, it's like a privilege to be able to use the research that I've done and the reading that I've done and the things I've learned and the experiences I've had talking to so many people about what's good and bad about a first period talk and turn it into a book. And um, I love when when people do that as well. I love it when an, an expert writes a book about something, but does it in a friendly way. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Chella. <laughs> this has been just wildly edifying. I feel like I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners have too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our chat with Chella Quint. Own Your Period is available online and in bookstores and libraries worldwide starting tomorrow. We'd love to see you subscribe to Quarto Kids Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find all available episodes at anchor.fm slash Cast. And hey, if you're enjoying Quarto Kids Cast, we'd be grateful if you left a review so others can hear about it too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music, Steve Roth for his promotional vocal stylings, Chella Quint for stopping by to talk to us, and of course you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.